0: Wait a second, this isn't your grandma's cancer show. Not your grandma's cancer show. Hi, I'm Tatum Duroc and this is Not Your Grandma's Cancer Show. And so I'm gonna start today with a question. Do you ever feel fatigued of fatigue? That awful soul-sucking exhaustion when your head is too heavy for your neck and your cup of tea goes cold because arm's reach is just too far. And then when you look at your newsfeed, And there's some other person with cancer that's just run a bloody marathon. Yeah, it's the most sickening feeling. And all around, there's this pressure to seize the moment. And you really want to have fun with your best friend who normally makes you snort with laughter. But even the idea of putting clothes on is draining. And it can be so hard to explain this extreme tiredness even to those closest to us. And it often makes us feel really isolated, which is why... I have fab guests on my show today that know that, that have been there, and well, they get it. So joining me today, we've got John Smith, who was actually at university when he was diagnosed with a brain tumour, and Claire Dawson was also joining us by phone a little later in the show. She had a Ewing sarcoma, and she had that when she was 17 years old, and it caused conditions that meant fatigue. has been a part of her life for the last 18 years. And right now, sitting beside me, I have Kynwin Giles. And Kynwin, you were diagnosed just six weeks Mm -hmm. after you had your daughter Mary.
1: Yep, that's right. Yep, I was diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which... um, also just makes you extremely tired actually so I started off tired.
0: <laughs> right. So so were you experiencing that tiredness all the way through your pregnancy? Um, I don't know
1: actually if it was it's really hard to say because I'd never been pregnant before or since so I don't really have anything to compare it to but um, I mean I was pretty tired but you know you you are tired when you have cancer it was actually worse once she was born and you know I would I would wake up every morning and think, okay, today's the day I'm going to go to Boots. I really wanted to go to Boots. Um, (laughs) And I never made it because I was just too exhausted. And it was that kind of fatigue where, you know, you can sleep and you feel better for a few minutes when you wake up and then it just hits you again. So it was really, really hard.
0: Because I think that's the thing with... Words like tiredness and fatigue is people think that they can relate to them. Yeah. Because a lot of new mums will often say, oh, I'm really tired, I'm exhausted. And it's hard to separate that out from what a cancer-related fatigue is like, which is different. And how I've seen it defined in studies is that it's usually not relieved by rest. Mm -hmm. yeah, And it lasts for a longer period.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something that's really difficult to wrap your head around, because we're so used to the concept of have a good night's sleep and you feel a lot better. Yep. And actually you have what you think is a good night's sleep and you don't really feel any better. And so then you start to think, well, what do I do? Mm-hmm. How do I get over this? Because what if I'm never going to feel better again? And that's a really difficult place to be, I think.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad that you're back on the show. Oh, thanks. Because yeah, you were on the very first episode. I was. <laughs> and we were talking about scanxiety back then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still have that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the anxiety... Can also feed into feeling exhausted as yeah. well. So I'd imagine you weren't feeling well, and you just had a new baby. How would you describe that feeling of knowing that something was more wrong? Hmm. I
1: think, I mean, at the at the time before I was diagnosed, I knew something was wrong, but I never thought it would be cancer. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, I. I thought I had anemia because I mean I was very anemic so I thought okay this is why I feel really terrible and I'll just get my iron levels up and I'll feel better. And what was confusing to me was I think actually once I'd finished treatment, because once I started treatment, I actually felt a lot better, which I know a lot of people, you know, they have the opposite. They mm-hmm. feel fine and then they have treatment and they feel terrible. I felt so awful before I started treatment that once I started having it and it kind of started beginning to knock the cancer back, I all of a sudden I could get out of bed. But then, you know, your, whole, your goalposts have shifted because actually I was running 10Ks beforehand and now like getting up and walking down the corridor and brushing my teeth was a big achievement. Right. And that's a really big change. Um, and then to, to do that, go through all the treatment, which, of course, by the end was making me really fatigued, and then think, right, okay, I'm going to – I'll pick up where I left off. I'll get back to what I was before. And not to not be able to do that is really, really difficult.
0: So you had the expectation that your energy would – Hmm. come back to you
1: yeah sure I thought okay well and like you mentioned at the beginning of the show you see all these people running the London Marathon who have had cancer right so not that I really wanted to run the London Marathon but you know I thought okay I can go back to running 10k's and I'll I'll have all kinds of energy and actually that's that's never happened I don't think I've ever got back to the energy levels that I had before
0: yeah and how does that make you feel um
1: I suppose you, you come to terms with it to a certain extent. So, and it's maybe the fatigue has leveled out a bit. So I sort of understand it more. I'm probably less fatigued now than I was five years ago when I finished treatment. But um yeah, you have to – it's it's a big mental shift, I think, to think, okay, you can't actually do all of the things that you used to be able to do before. That's a really difficult thing as a as a younger person to yeah. have to come to terms with.
0: So you had mentioned to me there was one day that you went out for a walk with your mm-hmm. daughter shortly after finishing treatment. Yeah, yeah,
1: um, yeah. I am um, – so it was one of the first days, actually, I was kind of left alone with her because when I got out of the hospital, I had my husband and other people helping me. And eventually, you know, they all had to go back to work. So I had her on my own and I thought, OK, I'll I'll walk down. What I'll do is I'll get up and we'll get ready and we'll walk down the street and we'll go to this leisure center that had a really nice cafe and then we'll come home. And so we did that. And when I got home, I felt Absolutely awful. And like so awful I actually thought, okay, the lymphoma has come back. This is why I feel so terrible. And I was really upset. And I remember a friend of mine came around for dinner and she was like, You're insane. Why would you walk 5K? And I thought, I used to walk five K all the time. It wasn't a big deal. Um and I, I was seeing my hematologist quite a lot then, so every week or every other week. And I went in and I told him and I was really upset. And he kind of looked at me and said you know, the trouble with ambitious people is (laughs) that they overdo it. Um, And he was like, you have to understand that you can't just go and do that. You know, you've been lying in bed for six months and you've had really intense treatment and of course you can't do that. Of course it's gonna make you feel terrible. And I thought, one, that shouldn't be that ambitious. You know, I just wanna do what a normal person is doing. Um, And two, is this what my life is gonna be like now? I'm gonna feel sick every time I overdo it. so, yeah, it was it was really difficult. I was really really upset. I mean, it stuck in my mind, and it was years ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that's particularly for younger people mm-hmm. that started maybe with a higher energy level. Whereas you know, doctors are often used to seeing people at later parts of their life yes. where maybe they've already eased up a little bit with their activities. But to go from such a huge shift yeah. of energy to not have it and did that did what he say said did that help you to kind of get your head around it or did you still find a resistance
1: <laughs> yeah probably not <laughs> uh, now I think about it and think oh you know maybe he had a point but I think my approach I mean maybe it's always been my approach in life has been more crash and burn than sort of <laughs> you know slow and gentle management um And like I said, when he said that, I remember thinking, but I'm not being over ambitious. This is walking that far shouldn't be be out of my reach. Right. So I was pissed off as well. Mm -hmm. Like, why? Why me? Why do I have to be the one that's tired? Um, I think if I look at it now, I think, okay, yeah of course I, anybody in my position who had just come out of the hospital after being in there for six months no of course you shouldn't walk 5k I mean that's ridiculous <laughs> um, but I think it's its taken me a long time and I still do I'm really tired right now <laughs> um, <laughs> I say you haven't had a day off <laughs> no I haven't had a day off in about nine days I worked all weekend and it's been fabulous and I you know I love my job obviously but um, yeah I feel quite tired and I kind of I know I need a rest um, And but then I think of all things i have to do and i think i don't have time for a rest
0: <laughs> so, so i'm so heading you... for a crash <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about things that might help manage that mm-hmm. crash a little bit later in this show yep. i'm looking forward um, to some tips yeah. yeah so in terms of where you are you have some now you yeah. have ongoing treatment that yeah. you receive does that also contribute to your tiredness and fatigue
1: Yeah. So I get um, immunoglobulin replacement therapy every month. And that's like sitting on an IV for sort of four or five hours. And I think maybe it's that actually. I mean, I joke that I'm heading for a crash, but it has forced me to manage myself a bit more effectively because it makes me feel nauseous and it makes me feel really tired. And again, like most people, you know, at the start, when I started this therapy, I thought, I'll just push through it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how bad can it be? I can still go out for drinks. Um, And having done that a couple of times and then finding that it it actually makes the effects of the treatment last longer. I had to stop that. So now I'm I'm pretty strict with myself that I I get my treatment usually late afternoon. I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed, mm-hmm. and I try not to book anything in for the next morning so that I can rest. Because I really found that when I if I force myself to go out at night or force myself to get up early the next morning, it means that instead of sort of feeling better within a day, it takes me three or four days. Um, yep. And, yeah, I mean, again, that's been a difficult lesson because you don't want to be the person who says, I can't go out because I'm having my infusion, and, no, I can't have that meeting, or I can't see you Mm -hmm. the next morning because I'm supposed to be resting. Um, And for a lot of people, to be honest, I think a lot of people are sympathetic when you explain it to them, but you feel kind of like a loser.
0: (laughs) Um, Because that's the thing, we're so hard on ourselves. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a lot of people can understand maybe not immediately depending on on how it's how it's relayed but I think a lot of it is pressure that we put on ourselves to to fight through it or not be that person and yet you'd have no problem if someone else was that person
1: yeah I I mean I think the way you've described it it's it is a bit of your identity because I didn't want my identity to be somebody who's sick Mm -hmm. and tired and needs treatment and and actually, it is. um, and again, like that's a big shift in your in how you how you envis how you see yourself, right? I don't want to see myself as a sick person. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really hard to kind of admit that to yourself. So often when I leave the hospital, I usually have my treatment on a Tuesday night, and I usually give myself the walk from the hospital to the tube just to feel a bit sorry for myself. So it's just 15 minutes of feeling like, okay, this is actually a really crappy situation that Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be in, um, and sort of feel sad about it, and then try to perk myself up on the
0: way home. But yeah. But it's important to give yourself that space.
1: Yeah, to to recognize, I think that it's not it's not how you saw your life. It's not a normal situation. It's not something most of your your friends can understand. Um, and and then it's hard to explain to people because you also don't want to be the boring person who is like, "Oh, I got to get my infusion."
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that word "boring" as well because I think that fatigue can be really it, it bores. Yeah. Bores me. I felt like with all my treatments, if there was some fatigue that was likely to happen, I got it full whack. Yeah. Like it didn't go in half measures um, and sort of everything added to it. But I had an allergic reaction to one of the drugs mm-hmm. and I basically couldn't get up before 11 o'clock in the morning. It would take me until 12 before I could sort of have a conversation or be somewhat okay. And by 2 o'clock, I was declining. So if I didn't get things done in this very small window of time between 12 and 2, I was a mess. And after 6, I would be practically slurring. I was so tired. Um, And life became really boring. Yeah. And, And I didn't even, I couldn't have the energy to do anything really productive in that time. It was like, go to the shops and get some food. Yeah. Come home and hope you have the energy to make it. And
1: it's that mental tiredness, I think, because <coughs> being fatigued, it's it's a mental and a physical thing. Yes. So I remember thinking when I was in the hospital, OK, I'm in here for like five, six months. I could read War and Peace. <laughs> um, what I actually did was watch Holmes Under the Hammer a lot. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you think, oh, I, yeah. I, I should really do something with my brain if I can't do something with my body. But mm-hmm. actually, your brain is tired, too. Yes. It doesn't let you it doesn't let you do the things that you want to do in the way that you wanted
0: to do them. And and we're in the majority in that with fatigue, um, apart from always seeing those pictures of people running marathons or climbing Everest yeah. or <laughs> being sort of superheroes, um, is that they reckon between seven and eight people out of 10 have fatigue, and yet it's really underreported and for about a third of people it can last years afterwards which again a lot years of people after cancer treatment yeah, yeah a lot of people aren't prepared to, because mm. there is an expectation of those energy levels coming back
1: yeah and i think i mean it would be interesting to ask a doctor actually but i it's it's not something i remember anyone ever telling me that fatigue would last a long time it was mm-hmm. sort of like oh you finish treatment you'll be tired but you know you'll bounce back and go back to work and you feel ready and and that kind of thing and i don't think it gets talked about a lot and it's only when you talk to other patients that you realize oh everybody's tired it's not just me
0: so we're going to talk to someone else who also gets tired so claire (laughs) when i spoke to her on the phone earlier um promised me that she was going to yawn throughout her (laughs) segment to illustrate fatigue (laughs) hi claire are you there Hello. Hi. Hi. I've stopped yawning for now. Well, thank you. Feel free to yawn at any point. (laughs) Thank you very much. And thank you for stepping in because um, Abby was going to be on the show and she was happy for me to share this. Um, She was excited to come on and then this morning was so tired. And from she also has um, fibromyalgia that's been caused or. yeah, caused by her cancer treatment, and was having a flare-up. So, um, so hi, Abby. Hi, <laughs> We're thinking Abby, about Abby, you. We love you. Um, and Claire, thank you so much for stepping in. That's no problem at all. As we were saying earlier, it's quite
2: handy. I'm always at home. Like, at
1: seat, so, <laughs> You're fatigued you know, call and at home. Me yeah. <laughs> and
2: So I'll tell you now, I'm sat on the sofa in my pyjamas talking to you. Oh, and that you sounds know, great. A, a nice image for you there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you were diagnosed at 17?
2: Yep, yeah. I um, was diagnosed with called ewing's osteosarcoma and it's generally found in teenagers and younger adults up to about 25 um so yeah i mean fatigue before or i didn't really get in the run-up i didn't notice i was tired or anything um it it was kind of a slow-growing tumor but the treatment itself certainly kicked off an amazing amount of fatigue
0: (laughs) um and how did you cope with that at the time yeah i mean
2: it it's, it's an interesting one because I've, cause I've had sort of ongoing chronic fatigue more now. Um, it's quite different, I think, the, the fatigue you get when you're on aggressive treatment, which is kind of a very physical. You know, you've got lots of other side effects going on as well. Um, and there's almost, I kind of like, well, it's not surprising I'm feeling like this because I'm on chemo or mm-hmm. I've had a transplant. And it kind of... I didn't really expect anything else to be honest at the time while I was actually on treatment. And I think I was actually kind of too exhausted to almost worry about being exhausted.
0: (laughs) I didn't have the energy.
2: I was sort of just getting through the days, you know, it was very much just dealing with symptoms as they came up. And I'd like time when I was in hospital for most of my treatment. So it really wasn't, you know, there wasn't any option of me thinking, Oh, I might pop out with my friends. I just wasn't really well enough. So in some ways it wasn't it wasn't easier to deal with but it was definitely very different and it kind of gave me no choices within it so I was kind of forced to just sit through it and wait for it to finish in a way um so that was the kind of actual treatment itself um but I think that meant and, and like you've been talking about that the the realization that that might not go away afterwards is the where it becomes more of a head game <laughs> you know yeah. um so yeah it was I think it took me. I was going to say it was definitely because I had a stem cell transplant, and they're sort of infamous for knocking your whole system out for quite a while. And I think it was a definitely two or three years of feeling, you know, not not ill, but definitely not right, <laughs> not right, just tired all the time. And how
0: like, is mm. and how was that in terms of what your peers were doing at that point in time? Was it also quite a jarring difference in comparison to how much energy those around you had
2: absolutely yeah I mean once I'd kind of left hospital I mean it took me a good nine months to get back up to being I went back to go and do my a-levels again because that's where that's where I was in my education Um, and so going to a big college that was full of sort of 18 year olds obviously just like They've got too much energy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's just like compared to me, just going, "Oh my gosh!" They, you know, they're choosing to run places. I'm like, "What are you doing? It's <laughs> crazy." Um, so yeah, the and it, it was. I found that time socially probably the most isolated of my life. I think just being amongst people and that and at that age, a few years makes a big difference. So I was kind of twenty, twenty-one, and they were eighteen, and I felt I felt different because of that, and I felt different because I had no hair still. And, you know, and I couldn't go out to the pub with them after. There were so many things that made me different. Um, and I didn't, I think when, you've, when you're when you in that position of feeling different or isolated, it takes energy mm-hmm. to kind of step out and make those connections and sort of fight through it a bit. And if on top of that you haven't got the energy, I think I just kind of gave into it a bit and was, you know, had a few years of just being really, just go to college, do my work, go home, you know, just get through the time. Um I don't think I'd quite fat, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really acknowledged it as fatigue either. I think I was just, oh, I still feel ill, you know, and I didn't really distinguish it from anything else I'd felt. So, like, compared to what I would do now, for example, to deal with it, I was just, yes, I didn't do any of those things. And I just kind of followed a bit. And I think I did the bare minimum, you know, I knew I had to do studies and that was kind of tiring enough. So I just got that done. Um, so yeah it was it was tough it was tough at that age definitely
0: and so you mentioned now do you have a kind of a, a toolkit that you draw from
2: <laughs> I mean I do and they like I don't want to give these like their, you know sort of the golden rules because they might not work and they don't always work for me every day and some days I just want to have a total strop rather than do anything like helpful for myself you know <laughs> um but definitely I mean I think the biggest thing I've noticed about it is that I just have to be really, really organized. And I don't have the luxury of kind of deciding things spontaneously. You know, I I have to be really good at planning what I'm going to do. I have to give myself time to recover from things. You know, I know if I've got a, a, a couple of days where I've got I mean, I say full days, and that's not <laughs> that's not anyone else's version of a full day. Like, my version of a full day is having to do something. Mm-hmm. So having to be somewhere and at a certain time, you know, meet other people, an obligation of some sort. Um, I know if I've, if I've got that in a day, and I've got that for a few days in a row, I need to have a whole day off of nothing because I will be exhausted just from the sort of getting there and getting out and, and being there. So, planning is a really big thing for me. I have to just sort of look at my diet in advance and make sure I'm not putting too many things in. Um, I think the things when I mean, when I'm having a bad day, when I really am actually, I can't leave the flat today, you know, what can I do in that moment to get through? Um, I think the first thing is like giving yourself permission because I think there's so many, like you were saying, that kind of negative chat we have about. Oh, I'm boring. I, I, my one is lazy. Oh, you're mm. just being lazy. That's mm. my, that's my go-to word, and I'll tell that to people, and then, and then wonder, you know, and then sit there worrying about why they think I'm lazy, just because I've told them. Because you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's slightly easier, it's easier to say that than oh, I'm just slobbing around. I'm just having like, you know, that all those kind of words that you can say, like sort of slobbing out on my pajamas. But actually, what I'm doing is resting because I've got this condition, and I don't say that. That's kind of tough, but. I have learned to kind of let myself off. So go, it's all right, today is just going to be a TV day or it's just going to be this, you know, and mm-hmm. just be a bit nicer to myself around the whole thing.
0: And you mentioned your um, conditions were caused by your cancer treatment. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more um, about yeah, how I mean, that happened?
2: Essentially, my my tumour was in my chest wall, so just inside my ribs, and because surgery... I mean, it it would have been possible, but it would have been a very last resort. They did a lot of chemo and radiation and like a stem cell transplant as well. Um, So I had a lot of radiotherapy, and I did have some surgery pre-diagnosis on my lungs. And that in itself has damaged the lungs. So uh, my left lung doesn't work at all. My right lung has kind of taken over a little bit. But they've both got this condition called bronchiectasis, which is caused i better get this right now. Um, <laughs> it's it's like a widening of the airways in the lungs and it's and it can be caused by scarring, it can be caused by radiotherapy, it can be caused by just getting a chest infection. Some people are unfortunate. If you get infection and there's damage caused by that, then you've got that permanent bit of damage and the problem with it is when you've got damaged lungs they don't recover. And damaged lungs are more prone to infection, so it's a kind of it's a progressive thing, this vicious cycle. Um, so essentially, my fatigue is caused by the fact my my lungs are about thirty thirty eight percent at the moment as of yesterday um, efficiency, and that will also mean my heart has to work harder to work to compensate. So th- both of those things mean basically my system is working a lot harder than it should have to, and therefore I'm exhausted. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the fatigue is caused by that, and that, that was obviously a direct cause of the cancer treatment. Um, and it has it's it's interesting because it's a progressive condition. It's definitely been something I've had to get used to. At the very beginning, when I first came off treatment, I was kind of. I'd get a bit tired if I tried doing a lot of physical stuff, like a lot of physical activity. And I mean I was never one to like love games or PE at school, so <laughs> it didn't really bother me. I kind of you know, I'd occasionally like I could I could go out dancing all night at university. It was kind of I was all right for a while. So I did definitely recover from the fatigue from treatment, you know, the the direct kind of cancer fatigue. Um I got better from that. But then as the condition in my lungs has got worse, it has yeah, it's, turned into more of a sort of chronic day to day up and down thing
0: And how has it been for you talking to other people who also experience that management of a condition that's that's chronic and causes fatigue um,
2: I mean it's been invaluable like really I, do, I can't I can't sort of overemphasise how how important it is to be able to um it could share the share the stories that you probably wouldn't want to you know i don't know there's always that feeling of burdening other people if you talk to people who don't understand there's a kind of i feel there's this sort of expectation on them that they're going to say something to make you feel better about it and that's not what it's about at all is it talking about things but i worry that that's how it might come across or so to have people who know exactly what it's like is just i mean it's great and I mean, it, 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 and for a range of different reasons, like practical things, just kind of, I had someone the other day, one of our friends in China, actually, um, it was just like, have you got this app that gauges how much water you're drinking? Because by the looks of it, all you drink is, uh, can I say brand names on here? This yeah. is like all-world advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I drink so much Coke, which is full of caffeine, and it's not good, you know, it doesn't dehydrate mm-hmm. you, and cups of tea, and just like... I get to the end of the day sometimes I realize I haven't had any water and things like that when you've got fatigue like eating and drinking it's so important and I had not even acknowledged that if I don't eat properly I'm probably going to be more tired. Mm. Like really basic stuff yeah. that you can kind of just it, it, with it on by, you miss a meal and you're like oh, I'll be fine other people do that and I really right. I, I don't have that luxury anymore I have to be really careful. Um, so we're down to really practical things but then obviously then there's just the kind of sharing of common like like it, i was just you know listening to what climate said about feeling boring and i just i totally get that and it's a real real you know the social part of fatigue is what i think you can underestimate like having to explain to people not wanting it to be part of your identity all of that stuff i totally get so just being able to talk to other people who get that straight away without having to explain it is um is just really important i think
0: Yeah, it was it was one of the things that when I was doing some research for this, that some of the doctors were saying that out of, you know, the common treatment effects, so pain and nausea and and things like that, that actually fatigue was the one that caused people the most distress.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because it affects everything. It does, and and I think it is. It's vague around the edges. It's fuzzy. You can push through, but then it catches up with you later. And other days you can't push at all. And whereas pain is, there is a scale. You can say my pain is seven out of ten. You can. There is there is something that people understand. Yeah. Yeah. But actually, yeah, feeling um, depleted um, physically. Socially, psychologically, it goes to the very core, doesn't it?
1: And it's kind of like Tatum. You were, well, we were discussing this before the show. That um, you know, I think before you get ill, you have this sense that you can, you can always push through or borrow energy from the next day. And actually, when you have fatigue, that doesn't work because you don't actually have the energy from tomorrow to borrow. And if you Mm -hmm. do that, you end up feeling worse. Um, So there's, you know, it's about learning to pace yourself, which is really hard because like Claire, you said, you know, you have to, that means you have to plan everything because actually life isn't easily paced. Sometimes that's not how things work. And, um, And that's a very difficult thing to get your head around because we are just so used to seeing really energetic people pushing through, right? I don't Mm -hmm. need sleep. I'll be fine. Yeah, definitely. And it's like,
2: I found it's been really trying to explain to my friends exactly what that's like. Have you guys heard of the spoon theory? Yeah. Yeah. Which I just think it's amazing. It's such a great way of explaining, like, essentially, you've got this finite amount of energy and... It, and it's almost, it's not up to you how that gets spent, like, as in just getting out of bed, you'll lose a certain amount of your energy, and other people don't even consider that, and it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's been really helpful, I think, trying to have a, and that's come from talking to other people with the condition that said, have you read about this theory? And it's meant that then you can explain to people who don't get it, who might understand exactly what you're saying, things like pain or, you know, um pain or sickness or things that you can take drugs for and get, you know, there's something Mm -hmm. practical you can do. Um, I was trying to explain this, like, all-encompassing, yeah, psychological, physical, like, almost spiritual, like, you completely lose, you know, any kind of energy to kind of look forward and hope for things as well. Like, all that can be really difficult when you're in the middle of a bad day.
1: Because the spoon theory is you have a certain number of spoons. Per day, yeah, you, right?
2: you essentially. Yeah, I think it came from this girl. It's a really interesting story. The girl was just talking to her friend in the cafe. And I think she had something like lupus, a chronic condition that affected her energy. And, um, and her friend was saying, what's it like? And she basically handed her a bunch of spoons, I think 12 or something like that. Yeah. And she said, right, you've got the condition. This is your condition. And now explain to me what you do on a day. And so she said, well, I wake up, then I get out of bed, and she, like, grabs one of the spoons off that, and she's like, well, that's one of your spoons gone for the day. You've only got a certain number of those to spend on things that you want to do. So you've got to be really careful now. And so she, as she went through her day, you know,
1: mm. um,
2: having a shower, washing your hair, that's two spoons. Washing your hair and shower, you know, you have to, yeah. you have to kind of... You <laughs> it's a big day. Like, oh, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Washing your hair, that's a luxury. Like, that's a lot of energy because you don't got to dry it. And, you know, all these things that people just te- completely take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. And if you get to 3 p.m. and you've used up all your spoons because you've had a busy day, I mean, she did say, and it's quite interesting, she says, you can borrow from tomorrow's spoons, but that's going to go horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> because then tomorrow you're not going to be able to, like, get up and cook. You, you know, and it's, it's just a really good example of, you know, having, it's it's basically having to make choices about all the things you'd like to be able, and, and a normal person would be able to do, and you've got to choose which ones you prioritize. Yeah. Um. And yeah, it's really, it's, yeah, it's online if you Google it, Spoons area, it's a really, it's a kind of really nice, simple description of mm. something that actually feels really complicated to explain.
0: Yeah, I really like that too. Thank you so much for chatting with us, Claire. That's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And Thank you for asking me. Oh yeah! Any time. You'll definitely have to come back and come into the studio sometime too. Oh damn, that
2: would be exciting.
0: <laughs> so we can we can reschedule. in my diary. Yeah. I'll
2: leave a few days before and after to recover. will be perfect. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Claire.
0: Talk to you All soon.
2: Right. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: So now we have John joining us on the phone. Hi, John.
3: Hello there. Hi, Tatum. Hi, kind Hi, John. (laughs) Hi there.
0: So, John, can you tell me a little bit about what was going on in your life when you were diagnosed?
3: Yeah, sure. So I'd um, I'd literally just um, pretty much a couple of years before just come out of um, uni and um, I started uh, my first job um, working in the theatre at the time. I went to drama college a train as an actress. So I was working the long hours that actors work in bars usually. Um, so I was working and doing all the usual things that people do in their early 20s, trying to start their careers. And I just started to experience some um, really weird symptoms in around... 2004, I guess it was, um, I first started getting the the symptoms. Um, And first of all, it was just chronic uh, thirst and um, tiredness and lack of appetite. And it all really started to impact on um, my lifestyle, I guess, and my work as well in particular. And that's how I really first started to notice all the symptoms. And I was going to my doctor and telling her about symptoms for a long time, for um, around a year, I think, from 2004 to 2005. I was going and saying, look, I'm always thirsty. Um, I'm tired. I'm not eating properly. Um, But she just said to me, you're a young man. Um, You're fit and healthy. She she did a certain range of tests to see what was happening. Um, They didn't show any immediate results that she could identify as anything. Um, but she kind of put it down to my lifestyle as a young guy, um, working all hours, you know, partying as well, mm. going out quite a lot, as you tend to do at that age. Um, and because I was working, um, the hours that I was working as well in, in the bar and also trying to um, get my, my career on track at the time, um, she kind of put the tiredness as well down to um, my lifestyle and I mean, I was literally some days, you know, I'd go to work and then not get up until three o'clock in the afternoon. And um, I had friends as well who were who going through the same sort of things, but that was due to lifestyle. So I, could, I suppose I also put it down to the same, the same thing, really.
0: Right. And when was it that you went in for your surgery?
3: So it was 2007, so actually kind of three years after I really started to get um, the symptoms. And it was March the 27th, 2007, which was also my parents' wedding anniversary, so they were were very happy about that. (laughs) But um, I'd been diagnosed with a tumour, what they thought was a benign tumour, in 2006 um so i was i think i was 24 25 at the time or uh, something like that um and i was diagnosed with this benign tumor that they saw in a scan because my eyesight started to go sunny as well so i was seeing double and the ophthalmologist put me through um for the the eyesight scan and eventually the tumor was seen in 2006 but it was kind of left because they thought it was benign, very small. Um, it was on my optic nerve and my pineal gland. So they just left it until March um, 2007 when I basically woke up one day and couldn't walk, couldn't speak. Um, just was all over the place, didn't know what was happening, um, but presumed it was something to do with with the tumour. And basically was was... Um, rushed straight into hospital and into emergency brain surgery, um, where they literally were able to, to go in and take everything out, fortunately, um, without damaging my optic nerve um, any further, and has already been damaged by the tumour. And that is something that they'd been very worried about the whole time throughout the year since they'd been diagnosed. But once they actually went in and, um, and removed it, they also took a biopsy of it at that point. Um, I didn't have a lumbar puncture done in the year to check if it um, had spread at all to my spine or anything, which is obviously the main area where it spreads to when you have um, a brain tumour. But um, it, um, had; they found it had spread to my spine at that point. So once they did the surgery, they decided to go ahead and put me into radiotherapy in 2007 as well.
0: And what effects did that surgery and the radiation have on your brain chemistry and and functions that your brain would have normally have been doing?
3: Zapping. (laughs) They zapped my brain, yeah. Um, Luckily my brain still is there, but um, they it did impact um quite a lot of my hormonal functions so um not only did it it's mainly partially sighted due to where it was on the optic nerve so it crushed the point at where my two optic nerves um cross um in my brain but also it damaged my pineal gland so um it and um, basically, you have something called the adrenal axis, which uh, is an interaction between your adrenal gland, your pineal gland, as far as my understanding goes, and also your your thyroid gland as well. Um, and my adrenaline axis was um, was completely knocked out, so I no longer produce natural adrenaline. So um, that's uh, one of the big impacts on my levels of fatigue and yeah. and reaction to fatigue and anxiety and things um and it also the radiotherapy um destroyed my thyroid gland which is in your in your throat so it came the radiation um, rays came through the back of my head and through out through kind of the front of my face through the mouth and throat area so it um, destroyed the thyroid gland there and um it is also that the first hormone is um, called, uh, it's a, I, I have thirst hormone replacement with a drug called Desmopressin, which basically means that my body is more able to now retain water um, in a normal way and function normally with water retention and, and thirst and so on. So those are the three hormones I've always had. Um, had... Uh, replaced. But then this year, I've just been started 10 years after on a, on a new hormone, which um, they found I also need a replacement on, which is growth hormone, which also impacts a lot on fatigue and um, energy and sociability as well and things like that so yeah there's a few few little uh, hormones that i'm able to pop pills for and take injections for to get the functions back to normal a little bit bit, as much as possible
0: so i suppose with all of those you're you're looking to manage them with the medication that you have been given so it's
3: amazing yeah yeah pop a tablet and i can almost immediately feel sometimes especially with the hydrocortisone I can immediately feel when it's starting to work
0: yeah and so for you how has fatigue impacted your life
3: Wow I think it's been I mean as we all know it's been you know one of those impacts that you don't expect because you're dealing with everything else that you've gone through (laughs) Um, and as you're, you know, particularly when I was trying to get after my treatment had finished, after I'd recovered and been winged off all the, the drugs I was on at the time um, and, and trying to get life back together a little bit and back on track and and everything, you, you'll think, you, I didn't expect that this was going to be something that I had to deal with. Um, and it has a day-to-day effect, really, um, you know, just what you're going to do um, in the day, your, your ability to do things that people around you can do, um, you know, and you have to kind of adjust your lifestyle to, to take into account um, fatigue as well and, and the effects it has on you. And, and sometimes your friends and family, they don't always appreciate um, how it does affect you and how it impacts your ability to do certain things. Um, I mean, for me, it had the had biggest impacts have been on, at the time when I was young, in my mid 20s, I was still trying to you know, keep up. But when I got, as I say, better, I, I don't think I was fully back to myself until about 2010. But um, I was still trying to get my life back to where it was when I was 24, and by then I was about you know, 29, 30. Um, and I was still trying to get back to going out clubbing or going out drinking as much as, my, as I was you know, in my earlier years but you know I found my friends had all moved on different stages in their lives and also I didn't have the um, capacity to be able to go and do it so I did find as soon as I got better that some friends didn't quite understand that I wasn't able to do things like you know going out with them as much or doing certain things and also some of the hormones I was missing really had a massive effect on my um, anxiety and reaction to stress as well. So for a couple of years, I really found it difficult even going into rooms with, you know, more than 10 people or so, particularly speaking in front of people. And that was a huge change for me, having gone from, you know, training as, Um, a performer to then having massive anxiety of even speaking in front of people in a formal um, situation but in a social situation as well just knowing that I was going to go to a bar or something where there'd be mates all sitting around talking um, and the anxiety would really kick in and that was a that was um, affected a lot by fatigue so I'd push myself to do things and then realize I'm too tired to be in this room having this conversation because I'm dealing with these other symptoms and, and things as well.
0: Yeah, and and you had mentioned the those thoughts in your in your mind. So apart from just the the pushing through, that then the thoughts, the anxiety can turn very critical.
3: Yeah, so you you kind of get to a point where you're like you're comparing yourself with with um, people, and and you compare. Particularly, I think in in work is a big one for me over the over the years when I've had jobs that. Um, you know, I've had some quite intense sales jobs, and um jobs that in a normal person require a lot of energy and a lot of um, drive and when you're contending with um contending with you know m- the medical symptoms of fatigue in particular um, comparing yourself to your colleagues or your friends who are able to really push through things like that and achieve what they're achieving um mm-hmm you really criticize yourself and say, why can't I do it? And you, know, mm-hmm. you push yourself harder, which isn't always the thing that you need to do. And that's certainly what I realized for myself, is that um, you know, with friendships, with work, with relationships, with, with everything where fatigue has an impact and you compare yourself to other people who, who aren't in the same situation, you, you criticize yourself. Um, you have to take a step back for a moment and just say, um, look, I recognize what my body is doing. Um, I know what my body needs and um, I need to recognize at some stage that um, I am different mm-hmm. to my friends. And it's not a bad difference. It's just you have to know what you need to do for, to, to be well and to be able to you know, get through the day with the level of energy that you have.
0: Yeah, it seems a little bit like from talking to the three of you and, and also factoring in my own experience a bit, there's is, there is different stages of how you deal with fatigue. And as acceptance starts to creep in and in, 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 in that yeah. form of, I accept that I will always be a little bit different, it doesn't have to be bad, but these are the things that I need, that it changes the relationship to fatigue.
3: Definitely, yeah, Um, and also accepting that, you know, it is also partly a natural thing as you grow older, um, that your body changes as well, but obviously our bodies have changed already. Um, But it's also accepting that it is part of life and your handling of it as well is part of who you are and your life in a way and accepting it as part of you and that the change isn't you know it's not something that's bad it's just something that is there and your mates will and family and everyone grow to understand it and mine mine have been amazingly supportive ever since to know exactly when to notice when I'm you know really suffering through um through fatigue and will will always be there to help so that's what you know is a really positive thing that you take from it is when you get the support that you need and people recognise what you're going through.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that that can often take time as well. Because, I mean, I suppose with any of us, it takes us time to figure it out and then it's going to take time for people around us to also really be able to accept that and see that too.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I for years, um, a, good, a good technique I found was Um, you know, I I know that I don't like to use the word fighting when I say I'm fighting my illness or my my, um, cancer or or my symptoms, but definitely when it comes to managing my fatigue, um, I know that I've got a certain amount of energy in the morning or, or capacity to do things throughout the day. And when I get a moment when I'm really suffering my fatigue, I almost view it as an opponent in my head (laughs) Um, I take it on and I do sometimes speak to myself and I go you know I'll go bring it on come on and I'll really you know I mean my language can get a little bit more extreme than
0: that you can totally uh, share that with
3: us Um, so I will um, literally swear to high heaven and, and just say, you know, fucking throw it at me. Come on, give me what you've got. <laughs> and um, that will really get me standing up and, and facing it and and in my own way, fighting it as well. And I do believe that there is certain symptoms that I have, like fatigue and anxiety, that I do have to fight throughout the day, every day, to, you know, to do certain things. and. That's just one way that I cope with it is is viewing it as an opponent mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you'd <laughs> also, yeah you'd also mentioned about thought blocking
3: yes, so that was um something I was very lucky when I um finished my treatment that one the i mean I, I didn't go out and find a lot of support, which I didn't know anything about shine at the time or any other support charities that are out there but um I was referred through my hospital to um one of their like in-house kind of counseling um, psychologist people and he showed me this great technique called thought blocking which is whenever you get a negative thought or something in your head that's you know impacting the way you feel or do things is to just recognize it and take a moment to just judge well not make a judgment sorry, but to see is it you know a happy thought a bad thought but then just to um, recognize it not feel bad about it But just to discard it and and block it essentially and stop it right there. Um, And that really helped me with, um, particularly with the critical reaction to fatigue and and my symptoms. Um, And it also helps with, um, you know, part of it as well as keeping a journal alongside it, which she recommended, which I think I did for about six months and then, (laughs) like everyone, was really committed to it and then found I couldn't manage to keep it going. But, but it really help does help if you're keeping a, a regular journal with those kind of um, thoughts in, and then it helps you recognise when you're having them day to day. And it's also part of mindfulness as well, which has really helped me um, in the last few years to recognise when my body's doing certain things and just step back from it and say, it's my body, it's not me, and distinguish between my symptoms and myself, my mind and my body, that's the two, the two areas that yeah. I yeah. draw a line between.
0: It's interesting that that idea of breaking down the, the thought blocking reminds me of your walk home from your treatment, Kindwin. Mm. That if you have this little period of time where you acknowledge the thoughts and sort of give them a little yeah. airing, And then you can move on to the next thing. Yeah. But you haven't squished them all down immediately. Yeah. There does, you know, a little period of time. But then, yes, finding that that separation between mind and body.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember um, seeing a counselor for a while and saying to him, Actually, when I I was really not very well, and and saying, oh, you know, I really I'm trying really hard just not to feel sorry for myself. You know, there's there's nothing to be gained. And he he said, well, maybe maybe you should feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> like actually, yeah. you're not in a great situation. Maybe you should just allow yourself to feel sorry for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I at the time I think was a little bit puzzled, but actually there is something valuable in acknowledging that you're in a situation that nobody would want to find themselves in and recognizing that. And then, you know, not wallowing in it, but recognizing that that does make it hard. And so maybe actually your reactions aren't unreasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, it is okay to feel a bit sad that this isn't how you planned your life. Um, and, and then, you know, still plan good stuff around
0: it. Yeah. I know for me, um, it partly goes back to um, my dad was a, a proper hypochondriac. <laughs> and so my internal fear was of becoming a hypochondriac. So even just like regular coughs and colds before I had cancer, like I was really, really bad at navigating them. I'd always push. I'd always say like it wasn't, it wasn't really there. And, and I'd end up making myself really ill.
1: That's like you were a hypochondriac about being a hypochondriac. That's exactly that's, deep. that's yeah.
0: deep and so when cancer came along in in some respects i thought that oh well this this is this would legitimize it <laughs> you know i i can actually take care of myself without going through these mental ridiculous hoops but no it didn't work that way yeah. and i still felt like especially with fatigue that it felt it fell in that category of you know maybe i'm just lazy maybe i'm just this yeah that was what
3: I felt for years. Or maybe I'm just lazy. Maybe um, I'm just lethargic. Why and why can't I get up and do stuff?
0: Yeah, and and it's taken a long time to find my categories of fatigue mm. and knowing. Like I mean, I can very clearly know the difference between regular tired and fatigue. Fatigue for me makes me feel like my my bones in my legs feel like metal like there's Mm. actually a very physical sensation to it Mm. and now I know when I get that or I just feel like exhausted you know kind of (laughs) like in the most central part of my body that actually you know I'm not making that up and I just I just have to figure out my life and my day, like you said, like yes. with planning. And there's just no way around that. And that's where I get to kind of separate it out from me. But you think, oh, my God, it takes years to get to that point sometimes. Mm-hmm. And if we'd only been easier on ourselves, and maybe listen to a podcast like this right at the beginning, yes. <laughs> yes. And then it would yes. have made us feel a little less pressure on ourselves. I also love, John, that you have a beer tip
3: well, yeah, it's something that I, um, that I heard on a TV documentary. Um, and obviously, you know, beer is something that alcohol is something that's difficult to recommend. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I, your body clock has certain periods when it goes up and down, um, according to this uh, documentary I watched. Um, and it said that the best time to to drink, have a drink is uh, six o'clock in the evening. Um, when your body clock is dipping and it, it will literally revitalize you and make you feel better and wake you <laughs> up in the evening. And I think it definitely works sometimes. I mean, definitely if I have, if I have my beer in the afternoon, I will sleep all afternoon. <laughs> but if I have it in the evening, I'm ready and I can, um, I wake up and I, I feel good. I don't recommend it every evening, <laughs> but if you're going to have a drink in the day, it's probably a good time to have it is the evening.
1: Oh, uh, but not
3: late, because apparently it can also, if you have it too late, it will keep you awake as well, which um, is something that, uh, you know, people with fatigue as well often juggle is not getting any sleep as well when they need it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay.
3: But yeah, so there's a good excuse for some cocktails and beer. I'm not buying though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that tip. I um I'm gonna try it out. Actually yeah. we should all have a beard tonight yeah. at six. This evening yeah. at six. Let's do it. Let's uh let's, let's try it. this. And um and we can keep sharing what works with <laughs> <laughs> with um alleviating and understanding and evolving our relationship with um cancer fatigue and lots of people post about it mm-hmm. on Shine Cancer Support's private Facebook group so if you're not on that you can go on there, no one else needs to see, you can post ha- your experiences and no doubt probably a hundred people will be like yes, <laughs> yes we get that because <laughs> um, um, yeah it's... you can start a fatigue club Ooh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that does sound good <laughs> a pyjama party
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. I, I I mean, I'm lucky. Well, John's lucky. He has a very understanding boss, I hear. Um, yeah, I do. yeah, Hi, John. i yeah. now, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, it's interesting, right? There's three of us at Shine. John works for us. And, um, a, you know, we all, we have an office and we work together, but we do all work from home. And sometimes... I read once that um, Arianna Huffington, you know, the billionaire that owns Mm -hmm. the HuffPost or used to, um, that sometimes she works from bed. And so I thought, well, if that was good enough for her, um, (laughs) I could do it for me. Um, Not again, you're probably not supposed to do it all the time. But some days if I'm really tired and I have something to get done, um, you know, I will work from home in my pajamas and yeah, just try to manage myself that way so yeah so john that's fine you can be in your pajamas exactly.
3: well, you just, sometimes you just have to do what you know you need you need to do don't you and yeah. um for me it's um i always know that i have to when i'm really feeling the worst it's getting fresh air getting out for a walk just 20 minutes out into some countryside and um or, or to some greenery um it just makes a huge difference
1: yeah, I think moderate exercise, I yeah. mean, I know that is supposed to help. And actually, I have found that as well, like toning down my kind of extreme tendencies to want to do a triathlon or something. But actually, like a 15 minute walk outside, just gentle walking can really make you feel a lot better. So, yeah. 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 And when, when you're tired, that can be hard to think like, oh, I've got to oh, put on definitely. my shoes and go for a walk. But actually, once you do it, you do really, I usually feel much, much better. It just kind of clears your head and yeah, gives you yeah, a chance that- to breathe.
3: I know that especially missing adrenaline, that if I get to the gym in the morning um, with your body clock and the way the, the circadian rhythm works with, with that, um, if I get to the gym in the morning, my endorphins and so, uh, I think serotonin and those kind of chemicals kick in and do the same kind of job that, um, that um, you know, the, the adrenaline does. Um, so that will always make me feel better and, and last throughout the day.
0: That's a really good idea. I, I like both of your ideas. I know what I sometimes do is I give myself a pyjama day where I give my pos- myself permission to do nothing. Yes. And it's always the day I'm really productive. It's always the day that then I'm like, you know what, I really want to go for a walk. Yeah. Or uh, I really, you know what, I'll tackle that corner of, <laughs> of disorganization <laughs> or like I'll clean out a cupboard and I'm like, you know, it's my pyjama day. I think, yeah, sometimes giving yourself a bit of a break, then you can do the things that you need to do that will actually make you feel better. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much to, um, to you, John, and to you, Kynwin. Thank sure, you thank for you. Thank joining us today. And um, if you have an idea for a show, feel free to drop us an email at hi at shinecancersupport.com. O-R-G, and get on the Shine Facebook private page and add to your toolkit of what works for you with dealing with fatigue. Any last words, Kynwin, about
1: fatigue? Uh, no, I'm going to go home and take a nap. So um, <laughs> I'll see you guys later.
0: <laughs> okay, so nap and then beer at six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. i got a lot to fit in. Brilliant. <laughs> Till next time. Bye.